Hi guys, welcome back to Stargirl. It's Emma. Today is Saturday, December 17th, 2022. Um, I hope you guys are all doing well in um, this festive, busy month of life. Um, as hectic as December can be, there's so much opportunity to look back at where you were a year ago and more often than not there's change that you haven't given yourself credit for along the way and um simultaneously there's similar goals similar like intentions that you struggle to meet that keep presenting themselves year after year and so i think um i find a lot of comfort in that actually i like seeing similarity in goals and intentions year to year whether or not i've met them just because it feels like uh my values are slowly revealing themselves to me and getting clearer versus like when I was college age around then and it was like so much overcorrection year after year and um I guess it feels better now <laughs> um but yeah I hope everyone um gets to take from this season what what they're after so I really only have one Star Girl news touch base today, um, and that's less of a single news item, but more I just kind of want to touch base on Tinks and what's up with her because <laughs> we haven't revisited in a while. Um, I can't even remember what the last time we talked about her was, but um, she obviously since has a boyfriend, so that is like a big, um, that's a big update for the persona that she's putting forth for the majority of her time in the spotlight we've known her as a single girl and a lot of her content is around advice for single girls um or advice for like a single girl mindset i guess and so um but her boyfriend who she was like keeping kind of cloaked for a while um it's now very clear who she's dating sancho on instagram he's a photographer he's huge he's like I mean, she's not short and he's like so massive. Um, anyways, he paints his nails. He is like, I feel like he's changes his hair color a lot. It's like always like bleached and then maybe pink, but maybe just like bleached, whatever. Um, but anyways, just wanted to commit that to <laughs> Stargirl public record. Okay. But to speak to more recent history, there's a couple things that I want to note. One December 1st, we got our first legit hot Tinks pick. So, right, she was in Miami for Basel. She, <laughs> she's, like, posing on a balcony in a, like, skin-tight, um, like, one-piece bodysuit that goes from wrists to ankles. And the suit is, like, giving the illusion that she's naked, but it's, like, printed on top of it, right? And so there's three pictures you can swipe through. I'm not sure why we included the middle one uh and they were shot by her boyfriend obviously wait one more point about the boyfriend is when they first got together before it was like fully out in the open i was like why has tinks's grid changed to film photographs all of a sudden like what's going on and then like obviously that that followed um okay anyways but these these pictures from miami are significant because so even though tinks is very like hot girl this whatever you know she obviously is like invested in her look and spends a lot of time and energy and money like uh kind of perfecting her image and despite the fact that she talks about sex a lot right like she's kind of crass she has never done anything that is like actually genuinely like sexy I guess like and part of that is because she's not really like a sensual person I mean like obviously she loves food and she like loves sex and but whatever but there's just something about her that feels very like placed and kind of like unintuitive and just just not like sexy I guess in a way um it's kind of like 
either too artificial or just too like uh there's nothing like seductive about her I guess um anyways so I wanted to call that out just in and of itself but I also am curious what people's reactions to these were my personal reaction even though on the whole all things considered I find tinks to be like totally harmless the feeling that I had when I saw these pictures was like oh no not you not this and so I'm not entirely sure where that comes from, but I'm curious if other people felt that way. Like, it's something I wanted to interrogate myself because I'm like, whoa, why is like someone who has like always been kind of just this like harmless, like generic person to me suddenly feeling very threatening, right? And is it so much that she looks so good that that presents a threat? Or is it like watching her now toe this new line, chart this new area for herself feels like this isn't what we expect of you. This isn't like your place, like you're supposed to be X, Y, and Z. I don't know if that's all that interesting, but so many people DM'd me this series of pictures of her I had so many conversations about her about them and so it just made me think it's significant I guess okay speeding forward in the month so she this uh yesterday she was in DC um and two crazy things happened one she like organized another public rich mom walk um starting on the mall I think (laughs) like and um it's like hundreds maybe thousands of people come out for these things I remember when she did the first one in the marina in San Francisco and it was like so psychotic and just like the outpouring of like insane fandom that she has and how much she like you know apparently means to people it's so wild and it's like all these girls you know in their like early mid-20s or whatever being like oh I like took work off for this like blah 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 blah. and Tinks obviously takes this responsibility so seriously she's like I don't know it's just this really weird relationship again right because Tinks is not really like producing any okay she's like producing content obviously all the time right and so in, in some ways it's kind of like she is this like reality tv star to us or something the actual contributions she's making are so kind of like obvious I don't know it's it's it is just like continually amazing to me like this need that was apparently unmet until her you know because we have like a million self-help manifesty like ex-sorority people but there's something about her that people got obsessed with and like treat like it's almost like this like religious energy around her as like beacon of light and this messenger of truth that is like evidently saving people from themselves and from like terrible relationships and whatever so um but it's just okay fast forward like 12 hours after that and she was at the white house i was so i'm like i mean i'm not expecting there to be like more sophistication and stateliness coming out of the white house obviously but it just made me even depressed to just be like okay like whatever staffers that are like on the project to identify the like voices of youth and pop culture that are meaningful and like bring them to the white house for this like christmas party or whatever i'm just like i'm like depressed that you're like looking at tanks you know <laughs> and then i looked into it one beat further and it's like i don't know if you guys know this guy landon i don't even know what his last name is 
if you know him you know who he is this guy Lennon he used to work at Instagram and the reason I knew him is because I'm kind of obsessed with Eva Chen who I'm sure a lot of you guys know um who's the head of like fashion partnerships there anyways years ago he was on her team um so I like peripherally knew him even though I did not follow him anyways now it looks like he's head of like partnerships at the White House like which like what the fuck like that title at all but I guess he um him and people like him seem to have been uh, responsible for inviting Tinks to this Christmas party, which, like, I don't even have a problem with, like, social media stars being at the White House, like, not at all. But I'm just, like, texting this to a friend. Well, Michaela, you guys know Michaela. It's, like, the fact that, like, she's there versus, like, Sydney or Addison or Lena Dunham, <laughs> our topic of today. It's just, like, sad. I'm just, like, ew. Maybe it's just a sign of the times that I have yet to accept, but um, didn't like to see it. Anyways, that was a lot on her, but I, um, it seems like a dynamic time of life for her. So I think uh, just worth checking in because she's certainly like still on her ascent. Um, so anyways, that's that. Um, okay, so today we're going to be talking about Lena Dunham. This um, should be considered part one of infinity. <laughs> um, to me, Lena Dunham is so huge, such a massive um character has such a rich body of work um and is just so important to me and I um feel like there's no way that I could do her justice in one episode a couple episodes ago I had mentioned that I was looking for a perfect guest to come on and discuss Lena Dunham and that that is still the case um so I think people that have a strong perspective on her and that are um knowledgeable in some way shape or form are um always welcome so similar to the way that we kicked off the Julia Fox episode, I just want to note where Lena Dunham is in her PR cycle right now. So um, essentially, she was like very maligned and very poorly talked about for m- most of her like highly public career. Um, and she was really out of favor around the end of Girls and the years following. So this was like 2017 to, you know, 2020 or whatever. She was not someone that it was kind of uh, politically safe to defend. Like the tone that every magazine article took when talking about her during this time was just like, we all know that Lena Dunham sucks. Like there was a series of like incredibly cruel profiles of her um, that were published during this time. But now I think we've kind of squarely entered the start of a Lena Dunham renaissance. Um, not only that people are kind of revisiting her work and less threatened by her ideas you know there's been enough time and space for people to like breathe and regroup after her like other series of controversies but I also think people are just interested in her again um she did come out with two new movies this summer um so she's like kind of being serious about her work in a way that we haven't seen for the last couple of years um anyways but I do think that just like uh socially I think people are reasserting interest in or admiration for her again I guess also just at the beginning, I'll say that I am a diehard Lena Dunham fan. I love her and her writing and I love girls so much that like to a degree that like nothing else that happened, even comments she made or controversies she was embroiled in, like nothing could ever move the dial for me, even when I didn't agree with it. It wasn't like I could like logically defend her all the time, but it was just like that I loved her. So it felt just irrelevant to me. Um, And obviously people have these feelings about artists all the time. And I think that um, when you feel that kind of inexplicable connection and loyalty to someone, um, it's special. 
and um, just worth letting yourself have, I guess is what I'll say. Yeah, so I think Girls, the HBO TV show that she wrote, directed, helped to produce and starred in is uh, Girls is my favorite piece of art that has been produced in my lifetime at least that I have consumed as it was happening. I can't think of anything else that I revisit as often. I'm kind of never not in the mood for it and it will always make me feel really um, alive and inspired and entertained. Um, So I think I've seen the whole thing straight through like four or five times and my favorite seasons are the fourth, fifth, and sixth though. So I kind of just will go through a loop of those three but anyways, back to what I was saying, it's like so reliably moves me, even though at this point I've seen so much of it that I can basically anticipate almost every word. Um, but it just inspires me to create and it inspires me to keep uh, having experiences that reveal to me who I am or something. <laughs> Maybe that sounds really trite, but um, I think that this is the case for a lot of people um and this is kind of a point i'll talk to throughout but one of the main criticisms of girls is that people found it to be like intensely narcissistic right so obviously you're watching this cast of very self-involved characters and like people just didn't even want to see that portrayed um or they found it really alienating or they found it really gross or just like not worthy of um kind of her artistic investigation and then they also just found lena dunham as a person to be very navel gazy and entitled and just yeah narcissistic as well and so i think that always felt really stupid to me because i was like wait why are we all of a sudden like getting on this moral high ground that like that this theme of self-involvement isn't worthy like i said of artistic investigation like (laughs) like why are we bringing the hammer down on this it seems so like arbitrary and stupid um but then also I feel like that perspective fails to realize that Lena Dunham is creating a really unique space to look at the phenomenon of self-involvement and not only as like oh this is a comment on and so this is like an interesting intellectual space but it's like this is something that so many people are experiencing and feeling self-conscious of and not knowing what to do with so I just think it's like such an amazing portrait of of ego and all of the ways that it manifests and all the ways you try to hide from it and overcome it and like um and I think that you just see so many layers of cowardice and self-hate and bravado and all of the ways that you compensate for hating yourself slash thinking that you're amazing, right? And so I just, um, yeah, Uh, what got me started on this train? Oh, I guess I was saying that like girls is so moving to me for so many reasons, but um, maybe the most because it, it reflects back so many kind of ugly behaviors that you may be engaged with as well whether or not you're conscious of them whether or not you're like proud of them or disgusted by them or like whether or not they're operating on the same scale as these characters but um I just think it's brilliant and I learn something about myself every time I watch (laughs) any tiny little morsel of it so I love it um I just think that Lena Dunham gets it 
like on every single level. She understands how people work. She is so observant and can so brilliantly recreate all of these little dynamics and power plays and layers of like both obvious and disguised self-destructive behavior and all of the little like I don't know just like micro moments of passive aggressive self-protective behavior that people engage in often under the guise of confidence or being like over something or being too cool for something or leaning too far into self-parody or whatever like I just think it's so I'm just like you're correct everything she does I'm like yeah we see these dynamics play out like literally every time we leave the house everyone's acting like so fucked constantly yeah but in college I like kind of used whether or not someone liked girls as like a screener for if I felt I could ultimately get along with them that was obviously like overly simplistic but at the time I felt like odds are if you didn't like girls or you didn't get it or you thought it was annoying or whatever I was like ultimately probably you won't really like me and I probably won't really like you um so anyways um okay so let's do a quick rundown of who she is and where she's been um lena dunham is a writer director producer actress right um she did all of those things for her most well-known project which is girls this show um on hbo that ran from 2012 to 2017 um the show was about four girls in their young 20s and it's just about how they behave um Backing up from that, so Lena Dunham grew up in New York City. She's the daughter of two um, successful artists, and she grew up, I believe, in Tribeca. Um, her dad is Carol Dunham. He's a painter, and her mom, Lori Simmons, is like a photographer, and I feel like she does some other random mediums too. But anyways, um, so she grew up in that space of like wealthy liberal artist parents in New York, and the fact that she grew up in this environment with these certain set of privileges um, is often pointed out by her critics, I guess. So she created a series of short films when she was in college at Oberlin, you know, and like one went viral on YouTube or something. Um, so she she was like prolific um, at a very young age. She had this um, like web series called Delusional Downtown Divas. And you can see like this is kind of young women in New York being delusional was like clearly a topic of interest for her from an early age. So this could be seen as like setting the stage for Tiny Furniture, a movie that she came out with in 2010, um, which was kind of her big, big breakout. Um, And then that setting the stage for girls, right? So Tiny Furniture um, also stars Lena Dunham, um, came out in 2010. Um, It's about this girl, Aura, who has just graduated from college and moves home and is living with her mother, who's played by her actual mother, Lori Simmons. And um, she is uh just like dealing with like post-grad ennui basically and like feeling really lost and she's um really messy and um I'm not going to talk about that movie so much here because I just kind of have to like limit the scope um but I just rewatched it the other week and I was like oh it, it totally holds up um so that's important to know the other thing is is that this is a rare moment where Lena Tunham had long hair and she looks way better with short hair so that's what I'll say about that um anyways following the success of Tiny Furniture Lena got a blind script deal with HBO um to make a show so she didn't like even come with um with like the pitch or the script or like whatever she just got a deal 
Here is where she met Jenny Connor, who was at the time like a pretty seasoned seasoned showrunner and became um, like essentially Lena Dunham's co-creator, if not literally. I don't know how she's like totally credited. She's definitely a producer. She wrote a ton of the episodes. Um, she directed a few and Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor had um, like a really strong creative relationship for many years they've since had a falling out which was public only in like that literal news item um I don't believe that we've ever actually heard from Jenny in a meaningful way about the fallout um Lena Dunham has like referenced it and just been like yeah it was really like hard and sad um but I get the feeling that it was like really ugly and painful um so Um, she came out with a book in 2014 called Not That Kind of Girl, which I want to talk about later, but that was, um, actually really positively reviewed in the times and like in general, Lena Dunham is an amazing writer. (laughs) Like this is another huge point is like, she's so good. I think she's so much better than like the vast majority of staff column writers out there. Like, ew, like I can't even like start naming media girls right now, but it's like Lena Dunham's better, so that's all we need to know oh the other note i had on here was that she ran um this weekly online newsletter called lenny letter so this was a portmanteau of um lena and jenny so this was something she did with jenny connor um and they actually also had like a book imprint called lenny books on random house whatever it was this whole mini media universe that they created lenny and a lot of big names wrote for it right i think like doreen wrote early on doreen st felix you know what? Someone maybe check fact check me on that, but I feel like she did right. So like these big names, um, but uh, it was shut down in October 2018. This was around the time, um, if not the very time, when her and Jenny Connor were going through their big um, friend breakup, which is sad. Um, oh, you know, because I mentioned this like in the first episode, so Lena Dunham is very close friends with Audrey Gelman. They were friends growing up. The character Marnie is based off Audrey Gelman. Um, she's also very close friends with Jemima Kirk, who also starred in Girls, plays the character of Jessa. Um, and I feel like during Girls, we were very privy to Lena's set of friends, right? So she was very close with this illustrator, Joanna Velez. I believe they grew up together too, or at least knew each other when they were young. Um, Joanna did all of the uh, illustrations for her book. And like, if you just Google her, your memory will be refreshed immediately. Like this, her illustrations were like in everything from around like 2014 to 2015 time. Like she, it was like everywhere. Um, Rachel Antonoff, of course, um, who is a sister to Jack Antonoff, who Lena dated for like five or six years or something. Um, she actually met him through Rachel and Rachel, for those who don't know, also has, um, a clothing line. It's, It's very cutesy kind of cartoonish structured and Rachel Antonoff like is really really in my mind a sign of the times the height of girls um it's like very like twee and cutesy and but kind of also like uh, sassy um you guys know um Sarah Ramos who was in Parenthood like she kind of has this energy of Rachel Antonoff I like her Mae Whitman um, who was also in Parenthood, like they, this was this whole other kind of friend group. And um, for a couple seasons, at least, of um, 
Rachel Antonoff's like lines she would come out with like this whole narrative video that uh, and just all the characters would be wearing her clothes and they would be like in these like very whimsical sets that kind of like seemed born out of the same aesthetic universe as her clothes um and so Lena directed one of those um actually the only reason that I know that Lena directed one of those is because a girl from my high school directed the one the year after and it actually is like way better but I think that's just Lena's not like in advertorial mind um so i'll link that one it's um from yeah this girl bianca guyver and when um who went to my high school and i was i was just like obsessed with that girl she was a few years older than me and she was just like my main girl crush from like age like 16 to 20 anyways i mean she's a super cool chick but like i had to move on um actually she's a star girl i actually don't think anyone hates her i think she's one of the star girls that like everyone's actually fine with um what was i gonna say Oh, just the, oh, okay, the Rachel Antonoff. Okay, we got to move on. But, um, cool. Okay, what else Lena Dunham vibe-wise around this time? Um, I mean, she was really, <laughs> she was really into, like, rock the vote. Um, remember that whole campaign, the turn down for what? Like, that energy, like, and that makes sense because she's, like, BFFs with Audrey Gelman, or at least was at the time. Um, so they were kind of linked up in that, um lena either like campaigned or did something for hillary clinton in 2016 um so that's kind of like i always thought that was so random like i was like wait how is but maybe like she was just at a level of elite or something where she's just like completely disconnected to any of the vibes on the ground and she's just like oh i thought we were all liking hillary clinton or i don't know or like i have no idea but she seemed really impassioned anyways that's just like a weird moment (laughs) i don't know but uh Anyways, in the years following Girls, she had like a huge public falling out of favor if she was ever in favor in the first place. But basically, like every aspect of her personal life broke down as the public was like fully turning against her. So this is like 2017, 2018, 2019. First of all, she and Jack Antonoff broke up after a very, very public relationship. They were so, I mean, Lena kind of can't not divulge all of the time. And when she was in this relationship with Jack Antonoff, you know, that she's constantly like posting screenshots of their texts and like posting these like just intimate details that kind of like often painted him as kind of this like steadfast white knight and her as this kind of like maniac that he was like very sweet to or whatever I mean that was one tone of a lot of it but anyways the point is she was just like constantly divulging a lot of um personal information about their relationship and the vibe was just that like he had kind of like saved her right or he was like the only thing grounding her um and that but that there was a lot of like confidence in the structure that they had built for with each other right then that all came tumbling down and i think it was just like shocking and embarrassing and like just weird for like the public to process um so that was one thing the second thing is is that she was diagnosed with endometriosis and had her like ovaries and uterus removed um and she was very very public about all of this and um you know kind of definitely was sharing a lot about her personal experience and then kind of like uh gave a lot of thrust to like awareness raising around um the topic of endometriosis and i remember it, this this came up in the sally rooney episode that me and michaela did um where like endometriosis like really had a moment like in this time like it's a it had you know one of the characters suffers from it in conversations with friends and it was just like getting a lot of airtime. like i remember it was just like wait why is this like the number one SEO play I'm seeing like literally everywhere? Um, so 
Lena Dunham was very public about this. It was like, it's like obviously like extremely traumatic physically and emotionally. And she was kind of live processing for all of us this, not only the diagnosis, the chronic pain, the like surgeries, but also her coping with her infertility, right? Because she opted to have her uterus removed. And um, it was just really, it's like so much to ask the public to hold for you but I do think that this was this weird moment because on one hand she's kind of like spokesperson of this thing that so many feminists are really uh I I don't I guess okay what am I trying to say one would think that to have such a like famous and vocal spokesperson um for a cause that so many feminists feminist media outlets whatever are like trying to raise awareness of that they would be like super just like grateful for the loudness of lena's voice but because it was lena dunham there was this weird like disconnect where they weren't really going to like claim her as the mascot for this cause obviously i mean that would have been really cringe in like a variety of other ways but it's just like uh it's such an maybe the no it's not the most it is one of so many obvious reasons that lena dunham is a star girl because even when she's doing quote unquote what people want her to do the manner in which she lives her life is something that is so offensive to people that they cannot like accept like even when she's like quote unquote on their team or whatever do you know what i mean like like she was never gonna be the right spokesperson for anything even if she was like a natural fit and probably the most well-spoken fit and probably the most famous fit if this makes sense um obviously I don't want her to be an activist I want her to be an artist um so like it's all fine this is a (laughs) class of case of rejection is redirection (laughs) for her um but it is just interesting to note okay so then the other thing that happened during this time is that she entered rehab for a clonopin addiction she was like I mean, I actually don't even need to like fully go into that. It's just that she was like addicted to benzos and she was like all of her relationships were falling apart. And in her own words, she was like acting like a total psychotic bitch and, you know, everything's falling apart. So uh, the point is here, extremely volatile and traumatic time for her, both personally, professionally, and like public image wise, um, between like 2017 and 2019. Um, she laid low for a time. I mean, she was in rehab and then she was like, she was basically came out and was like, okay, I'm sober. I'm like single. I'm infertile. Just like leave me alone. Um, but it was a kind of scary time. And then she would kind of just come on Instagram and she like, kind of looked insane right she had like gained all of this weight and she wasn't really taking care of herself and she was just like constantly in bed and she was in like London and LA and New York and it was just kind of like and like living with her parents and it was like wait what's like up with you you know and it would be like this like long Instagram caption that was like always like beautifully written and had a morsel of real wisdom (laughs) even if it was like kind of buried or like in these weird circumstances or whatever but and it was just like what the fuck is gonna happen to lena dunham like is she gonna be okay like oh i was like definitely not expecting her to like create work ever again um i guess during this time she did produce that show camping with jennifer garner which i never saw and i think got really bad reviews but um you know it was kind of just like okay whoa like 
yeah, it was just a really hard fall and then just a really weird time, I guess. Um, I remember in late September 2021, I was just I don't think I was drunk or something and I was just like getting emotional about Lena Dunham because I was like oh my god I love her so much she's so brilliant like she's like made so many meaningful contributions like she's like changed my life she's like whatever blah 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 whatever like she's the best person ever and then I was like oh but like what's gonna happen to her like you know is she gonna like die (laughs) like just like I am like whatever I was just like spiraling because I was whatever and then in the, the very next morning the first thing on my Instagram feed was her posting that she had just gotten married in private. I never knew she had this new boyfriend, this guy, Luis Felber, who's a musician. Um, so she got married in secret. Taylor Swift was there. And I was just like, oh my God, not that marriage is like the be all end all, but I'm just like, okay, like people keep putting one foot in front of the other. And that's so inspiring. Like we can't know what's next for her, but like this is potentially a sign that she is more grounded, more fulfilled, um, more in community than we had been like aware of, I guess. Um, so that I'm like happy for her. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy for her. Um, and proud of her. Um, then this summer she came out with two movies, as I said, one called Sharpstick, one called Catherine called Birdie. I have not seen the latter. Um, I enjoyed Sharpstick. Um, maybe I'll just talk about that a little bit later. But anyways, I think we're done with the bio. <laughs> um, cool. So, I mean, we've talked about her vibe a lot already. It's like leaked in the margins because it's kind of unignorable because she's such a strong and um, polarizing presence. But if it wasn't already clear, Lena Dunham was someone who everyone always hated it seems like right in this profile of her that came out in the cut in 2018 which i like put in the aforementioned category of like pretty cruel profiles um lena dunham has a quote about this specifically where she's like the main feedback i got i've gotten throughout my career um was like oh the work is so good it's so well done can't stand that main girl right and so she really inspires this kind of um visceral reaction um I mean there's so many reasons for this but I think like her physicality is one thing that like evokes that visceral reaction and kind of like lean back um and so I'll link that profile of her um in the like Spotify description info place um but it's written by Allison P Davis um who's like a, a steady contributor or like she's probably like the lead person at the cut now she writes all the time um and she can be a thoughtful writer but we got to keep her on a short leash she is she's the same girl who wrote the like uh who wrote the vibe shift article like in maybe a year ago or something now um which like obviously was like really embarrassing for her um I will say the only reason I even know about angelicism is because of my boyfriend. So like no prob, but like maybe she just needs a boyfriend. Most do, but just, I don't know, just, yeah, lots of bad narrative journalism happening as we all know. Okay. So I guess then the, the next question that we ask um, as the Stargirl team is why? To take the dream threat framework that we've been working with, um, I think the dream is pretty obvious. Um, extremely successful young person who's producing at this level of artistry and this level of stage like at such a young age right so she's making stuff that's on HBO 
and she's making really good stuff that's on HBO, right? So it's kind of like um, whether or not that specific thing is your dream, it's like, okay, this like level of talent and level of stage at a really young age is just like, that is obviously a dream that we have. I think that, you know, we want to believe that everything that's popular or available on popular like venues is like watered down that what is for the masses is automatically bad right and like i think this is kind of very clearly cope for not being successful in our own right right so kind of it works in our favor to believe this because we think that our work while unsuccessful or less successful is like more pure right so that's kind of obvious um but like Okay, so me and my boyfriend have this list that's kind of like maximum artistry at maximum reach, which potentially be interpreted as maximum impact, right? So who are the people that one way or another got the resources to get the biggest stage possible and their shit is really fucking good and original and scary and boundary pushing and widely popular and not by design alienating or applicable only to the artist or the artist world or this very small thing. So the list is... Lena Dunham, David Lynch, Lil Wayne. And that's basically the end of the list. To speak to the threat is a little bit more complicated. The other side of the success representing a dream that we have is that it's like threatening because like she kind of wins, um, right? So I think like another kind of coping mechanism story that we tell ourselves is that only the most beautiful, the thinnest, those who debase themselves and adhere to these certain prescriptions of womanhood are going to be the ones that win, right? And so to see someone so outside of that quote-unquote win, it's very abrasive to that specific self-protective narrative, right? So like, I don't know, sometimes I feel like people actually want those in power to remain looking a certain way or representing a, a certain thing because it like upholds and protects their like narrative that that it isn't possible for them if that makes sense and so um i think that lena dunham not being conventionally beautiful not being thin being just like very socially abrasive both like the literal sound of her voice and just like her ideas um the fact that someone so shocking basically is at the top is like wait but we thought that like the top is like these series of narrow prescribed impossible standards and like that was my understanding of why it wasn't me that was at the top so now to see her at the top is like you know it's really it turns the whole thing on its head and it really makes you need to take a long hard look in the mirror um the other thing is i think obviously there is kind of an endless craving for underdog story like we really are attracted to kind of queen of the underdog or queen of the freaks right we that actually came up in the past two episodes with julia and with mitski of like um that's something that people um are really eager that's a spot that people are really eager to have filled and so lena dunham in a lot of ways could be the queen of the underdogs right like um for all of those reasons that i just described but she doesn't occupy all of the underdog box checks that we want her to um she's like the daughter of successful artist parents right so she's from money actually maybe that's like the even the only one there was something that didn't feel like enough of an underdog and the other thing is that i think she wasn't actually interested in being that you know like even though she has since kind of you know now she's kind of more into this like what do i rep what does my success represent as like 
um, for like social justice or whatever, right? So she's like more into um, body positivity and obviously with the whole infertility thing, like she kind of has a space now um, that she is like that advocate. But originally it wasn't like when she was at the height of her fame she was like see like I got here despite x y and z like blah 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 blah. like she wasn't using her success and the like uh the factors that made her kind of unlikely for success as like she wasn't being like an activist about herself at all right like it wasn't that those weren't the things that were earning her her spot right whereas like I don't know, for some reason, like, Ashley Graham is coming to mind for me right now, right? Where it's, like, but she's just one of, like, so many people. It's kind of, like, de rigueur now where, like, anyone who is at the top then, like, feels the need to talk about their, like, why it's so important that they're there to, like, push the needle or whatever. So she wasn't doing any of that. She was just, like, yeah, I'm successful, right? So that's annoying to people for a lot of reasons, obviously, but I think one of them is that like she wasn't falling into place with the character of a queen of the underdog that we wanted her to be. She was just like, she was like, yeah, I'm on top and it rules, you know? Um, So I think people wanted her to be more humble and maybe weirder, but actually they didn't want weirder. They wanted like more palatable they're literally like we we know not exactly that like we want you to be blah 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 whatever you guys get it i don't need to break this down for you um another aspect of lena dunham's threat though is that i think she reminds us of kind of like the grossest laziest most entitled version of ourselves and then as i talked about at the beginning she like reflects back to us our own narcissistic tendencies it's and especially the character of hannah horvath who um is like has been impossible for people to separate from lena dunham and like in a lot of ways that like makes total sense and like they probably are like kind of non-parsable but um or like her character like whatever in the pilot she's like eating a cupcake in the tub at 8 a.m right and her like her body is always like out and like moving in ways that like feel unexpected and gross and whatever and not even unexpected but not expected for the experience of being alive but unexpected for the like experience of watching tv right so um and she obviously like is so clued into this and kind of was like this is just like another area of her um inability to not you know um she kind of just like is so compulsively needing to be doing all of this um so anyways i just think that like it makes people uncomfortable to see the parts of themselves that they are so grossed out by um so yeah i'm wondering if there's like maybe we get even like more specific about the themes that people don't like about her um so to speak to the beauty piece, Lena Dunham is obviously not conventionally beautiful. This is kind of like a key topic of interest of her um, in almost all of the work that she's produced. Um, so like I said, like usually we would root for someone who is unconventional looks wise, but this didn't happen with Lena Dunham. And that's interesting and related, but like critically separate <laughs> is um, the idea of fatness, right? So her body and the meta commentary about her body, both like within her work and within the analysis of her work um, was just like a huge 
topic and a place that she she was intensely interested in exploring and then she like gave go ahead for other people to explore right so we've kind of talked about that phenomenon before um, with people like tanks or julia fox where there's like they talk so much about their body and the fluctuations of their body and their relationship to their body that it invites the public in to um, look more closely to share their thoughts whatever so i don't know i just think like her body is just kind of a massive an inseparable part of her and her work and her persona um and a large part of it is because she is genuinely so endlessly curious about her body and about like bodies as a concept and like the grossness of bodies right so it's not just that she is she is interested in like provocation via kind of body horror on all these different levels but then I also think that she's just interested in body horror right so it's not always that she's like "Ooh, how can I like stir the pot she's just like what the fuck is between my legs right so um anyways that's a big part of it um another thing is just like the the laziness um I was talking to my sister the other day about girls and she's much younger than me and um like watched girls like well after it had aired and said that she like couldn't get into it and what she said was she found her and Hannah Horvath her character just like gross lazy and she wasn't like interested in what any of them were up to because they're like so entitled and lazy in these variety of different ways that she just like couldn't get into it um so I get that and obviously totally fair like response and probably like natural in a way but I'm wondering not so much for my sister because she's like just like definitely she's like the least gross and least lazy person that I know um so maybe it just like actually was fully unrelatable to her but I wonder in general if her laziness and grossness as a character or a person or whatever is such a turnoff to people like is it really that we're looking for whatever the opposite of lazy and gross are like productive and clean as the like core virtues I mean maybe they just don't like to look at it (laughs) that's like just like the huge and very like cut to the chase thing it's just like people don't want to see it you know um so anyways um okay this is like super specific but um I just thought of it while I was talking about the like curiosity of bodies thing so maybe the only like actual specific controversy that I'll bring up with Lena Dunham is that um there's a chapter in her book not that kind of girl where she talks about when she was like five or six or something and her little sister was like one to two or something um she was like exploring her genitals and um out of childhood curiosity and horror and like whatever she explains this like complicated like weird childhood memory that she had anyways this was taken and blown so out of proportion and it was just like lena dunham like molested her sister as a child blah 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 blah. it would just seem so like can we not put this like whatever um anyway i think that this is just kind of like more evidence of like lena can't not fully disclose every single disgusting thing that she's ever seen or done or watched herself do or that like she's thought about that doesn't quite make sense to her right so my sister asked me like oh do you think that she kind of played into this hateable persona and I was like you know I don't think that she's actually such a relentless like 
provocateur that she was like oh this is my like hateable persona blah 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 blah. but it's more that she just can't not right so like the instance that I just talked about of that that childhood memory between her and her sister like obviously this is not a critical piece of information that she had to disclose or include in her book and a lot of people would be easily like advised against sharing this or just wouldn't think to include it in the first place but she's like so committed to exploring her own impulses and she's so particularly interested in like bodies and like grossness and like just the instincts that the impulses that people have around their own and other people's bodies that she just like can't not share it right so she kind of just like it's not that she's so much playing into this hateable persona but that she just like ends up shooting herself in the foot because she just cannot fucking shut up you know so okay well I want to talk about girls specifically a little bit um so yeah like I said it's about four girls in New York City um who are finding their way and in the first season um three of them are a couple years out of college I think they're like 24 and then one of them who's the cousin of one of the characters is a couple years younger she's still in college at NYU um so the four girls um all have alliterative names not sure if everyone is aware of this Hannah Horvath played by Lena Dunham Marnie Michaels played by Allison Williams uh, Jessa Johansson, who is played by Jemima Kirk, and Shoshana Shapiro, who's played by Zasha Mame. Um, God, okay, I have a note in here. Explain high-level concept. So basically, they're all four, um, you know, in this kind of weird liminal space where they don't know what they're going to do with themselves. They're all very self-absorbed. Um, they are not particularly hardworking, um, and they're very directionless, and so they're um, kind of just tromping around New York City trying to make meaning figure out who the fuck they are basically so a series of failed jobs failed relationships um like just a lot of stops and starts and just like I don't know embarrassing situations that they get in <laughs> um so and then there's like the you know main cast of supporting characters Adam Driver who for most of it is um Hannah played by Lena Hannah's boyfriend um Ray who's played by Alex Karpovsky he's this older guy who's god I mean I've watched the later season so much that's when he like is managing a coffee shop I don't even remember what the fuck he does before that but he's like pretty just like also aimless but very like overly like principled and like uh just kind of into like blue collar values or something and he's kind of he plays the like old man kind of um vibe even though he's like 34 or something um and then elijah who's played by andrew Rennells, and elijah is um hannah's college boyfriend who has in the like third episode of the first season or something like um comes out and so he's kind of yeah he's the he's the like gay bestie that sort of like comic relief um and then hannah's parents and marnie's mom are also pretty key sub characters um i think i like assume everyone like is pretty like aware of girls as a universe and if not like I please don't listen to me describe it just like go watch but um but the high level critique of the show so it was like uh kind of a lot of dumb shit the fact that it was all white women the fact that it was called girls when it was actually only depicting the specific set of white women in New York City um the tongue-in-cheek self-assertion of Lena Dunham being the voice of her generation um this is a quote that her character Hannah Horvath says in the first episode and then was kind of like plucked out and like continually recycled as a headline as like attributed to um the way that Lena Dunham saw herself um and I mean it turns out that she was right so like 
no prob. Um, but yeah, I think criticism of girls is not hard to find. So you guys can also just go look into the high level of that. Um, I did find this Emily Nussbaum article from 2013 that came out um, in New York Magazine, like basically right when girls came out. And it is extremely favorable and um, maybe the most like tender review of girls that I saw like in live time. Like the majority of people writing about girls were being like, you know, kind of shocked by the phenomenon of it but extremely critical of it and Emily Nussbaum says like girls is like nothing on tv right now and is like clearly just floored by this like this thing that just came out of nowhere and like rewrote redefined what tv like could look like you know and was certainly like the most the first and the most poignant depiction of like young millennials and still has not been matched or replaced like there's like any I mean this goes back to the voice of a generation thing but just like absolutely Lena Dunham came out of left field was doing this kind of specific thing that um I mean people talk about it as being an unrelatable show but like if you mine literally one layer beyond them being like entitled brats in New York City it's extremely extremely sincere and relatable (laughs) so um Anyways, but yeah, that, that that review is actually great. I guess one thing that I'll say before I want to like talk about a few episodes specifically is that um, rightfully so, we want to like write off people who are just flimsy personas who don't actually have like a kind of concrete artistic or like other kind of contribution, right? So like when we were talking about Tinks earlier, right, it's like we're really struggling to define like what the fuck she's even bringing to the table. And so it's kind of easier to just be like, okay, she's just this persona. We're not going to consider that art. We're not going to consider that like a meaningful voice basically. Um, and I I don't really have a hard stand either way. I think I'm like attracted to the things I'm attracted to and then try to figure out what it is that's drawing me um but anyways okay whatever that's a different conversation but what I was gonna say is that as much hate as the persona of Lena Dunham has she is absolutely an earned persona because her work is so fucking good she's so prolific right like what is actually wonderful about her is not related to the persona of her it's about her capability as an artist and she's just like unignorable because her shit is so good and so I think well, I'll just speak for myself, like my attachment to her as a person is born out of my attraction to or an attachment to her work. In this conversation I just had with my sister the other day, I was like, she was like, oh, what were you even drawn to about her? And I was like, I just loved everything she made, you know? And I don't think that we often get that opportunity so much anymore. Um, partially, okay, I'm not, <laughs> sorry, it's not a, like, I was about to sound really like intersection of culture, X technology. I was going to say, one, because like the persona is just endlessly available to us, like on Instagram stories or TikTok or whatever. Um, but also it's just like, I think we have now have this innate, we've like trained ourselves to search for the persona before we have that much kind of evidence of like the work right like and I think that that's kind of just natural right we want to like see like who's the person behind who's the man behind the curtain or whatever but um I don't know I feel like that's special about Lena Dunham my favorite season of girls is season five um in general as a season it's like 
very narratively complete and satisfying and there are a couple episodes in particular that I think are just per- perfect episodes um number one is the first episode of that season this is when Marnie gets married to Desi so this is clearly like some like Hudson Valley wedding and um <laughs> and Shoshana's just flown back from Japan where she's like briefly working and um she, she Shoshana has this great line where she's like steaming the dresses and someone's like oh like is your boyfriend coming and she's like oh no like I'm in a long distance relationship so why rock the boat by seeing each other um and uh yeah and kind of just like all of the girls are misbehaving in different ways just like Hannah's like not pulling her weight as maid of honor and like not helping out they have this like uh makeup and hair girl who comes and makes them all look like so psycho and they have to fix it and whatever and then like Desi is like acting like he's not going to walk down the aisle whatever and this is also the episode where they plant the seed of Jessa and Adam getting together so remember that Adam has been Hannah's boyfriend for the majority of the show at this time they are like broken up and Hannah has a different boyfriend but then her best friend Jessa like this is the beginning of this the betrayal that lasts the rest of the show um so they like kiss kind of just like randomly um, there and then they're both like okay we shouldn't do that and they leave but the the seed is planted um so I love that episode it's just really hilarious honestly um the next one that I love is episode seven of that season so this is where Adam is in the play that is like reenacting Kitty Genovese's death um it's kind of this like experiential play where um it's in an apartment building and there's all these different groups of actors in you know each in each different apartment and they're like acting out a little like domestic scene from the 60s so there's like sisters who are like bickering with each other and like whatever and then there's like a husband and wife who are yelling at each other and then there's like a son and father blah 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 and like outside um kitty genovese is is getting stabbed to death and um the you know whatever this is a like famous fable of like a million silent bystanders or whatever um but anyways this is the episode when hannah puts together that jessa and adam are sleeping with each other and so there's this amazing moment where hannah is looking is in one of the apartments like experiencing the play and she's looking out the window and sees adam who's an actor in the play like smoking a cigarette out another apartment window and then she looks across the courtyard to a fire escape where jessa is standing watching adam also and she's just she she has that look right she's like um, has this like fondness and like just the hard eyes for Adam and um, Hannah's just looking back and forth and like slowly like wondering and like putting it together and um, it's just beautifully shot and it's like uh, like subtle but extremely like uh, and obvious I guess anyways and then after the play um, they're like out on the street and Hannah sees Jessa and Adam and is like hey whatever and they like they that's basically all they exchange they're like hey hey hi hey and then the two Jessa and Adam like walk away together and Hannah just is like watching them and you know um sinking into the like reality of that betrayal um and I don't know I think it just it feels really true to the way those sort of things feel where it's, you know, you have all this like anger and anxiety and worry that um, is spinning you into this really volatile space. But when you actually see it in itself, it's 
completely destroys you but also like locks you back into the present and almost to like a state of like if not peace then surrender right so it's like what we know of hannah to this point is that she's like extremely she's like the opposite of poised right so she's just like extremely reactive always blowing shit up always starting fights always like being insane and then when she sees this like what we would expect is for her to like make them answer for themselves and instead she just like is still and her eyes well with tears and her boyfriend is kind of chattering on to her like unaware of the whole thing that she's putting together and she like she kind of like whacks her hand and like slaps him and so that's like the the Hannah we know seeking seeping through and then Fran her boyfriend is like what the fuck Hannah like what the fuck and then she's just like you know what I'm sorry that was that was wrong I'm sorry I don't want to be alone tonight. And then they like leave. And um, I just think this is one of so many instances of Lena Dunham like surprising us with characters evolution, right? And also like surprising us with her knowledge of um, like what it actually feels like to be in this instance like betrayed or to fail or to embarrass yourself um and right when we think what we know everything about a character and their kind of like ugliness their volatility their just like um cringe like excessive kind of too muchness in all of these ways we watch them like take a step forward and then whatever and then take a million steps back right but it's just it feels so true to the way that growing up like little by little feels and like when you surprise yourself with the poise that you're able to access or like the acceptance that you're able to reach I guess especially when you think of yourself as like having so much fight and so much like dissonance um and then like when but actually when like really hurtful or dramatic things happen it's just like part of being in your powerlessness is like being in your grace in a way. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) I love that episode. Um, the other, like to my mind, perfect episode from this season is episode 10. This is the final one of the season. Um, so this is where Hannah reads at the moth, (laughs) which first of all, with girls, what Hannah does so successfully or what Lena does, geez, um, there we go. Um, is like, she really captures the spirit of the times. Right. And she has, I think, um it's not like a hundred percent perfect the like real world cultural detail she chooses to include and not all of it has like aged perfectly but a lot of it really really has like she selected some things that are really moment in time anyways but i was just gonna say like it's so perfect to have included the moth um it's like (laughs) speaks volumes anyways um so Hannah reads at the moth this is um I just talked a lot about this like this newfound poise we see from her in the face of like this extreme betrayal by her best friend um getting together with her ex and so she reads this um or no no she doesn't read she like whatever performs because she famously can have no notes at the moth um performs this story about um jealousy and you know just basically tells the story of adam and jessica getting together and how she's coping with it 
And first of all, it's just a really, really beautiful like piece of, we're going to call it rhetoric. Um, it's extremely moving. And um, the shot itself is really cool. It's just like one long shot that like extremely slowly um, zooms in until it's just her face over the course of like multiple minutes as she's telling the story. Um, and yeah, it's it's really great. And this is also the episode where like, Adam and Jessa have that like huge crazy fight where they're like tearing the apartment apart um, all around their um, their shared knowledge and inability in different ways to cope with their betrayal of Hannah. Um, so it's yeah, it's really good. Um, beyond that, this is also the season where Shoshana is in Japan, um, where Jessa is trying to like take herself more seriously and respect herself for once by, um, going to school to become a therapist. Like I said, Marnie and Desi get married in the first episode and then it's kind of the slow dissolution. Um, and then there's that one kind of capsule episode where Marnie runs into her ex from the early seasons, Charlie, who has since like become a, become an addict, um, and I mean, that's a great episode too. Um, and then there's also the whole sub, um, plot around Elijah, the gay best friend. And, um, I think he's like a, a news anchor or something. He has like some that world, like famous job named Dill Harcourt. And so it's kind of this, this differential of power and experience and like clarity of vision, um, that they have between them. And they're like, just like navigating that space, I guess. And then I love the episode where Dill finally breaks up with Elijah it's so heartbreaking because Elijah's feeling like why am I not good enough for you in xyz ways like why won't you commit to me like I'm just gonna lay down the law and be like I'm committing to you like I choose you and like that confidence and decisiveness and groundedness is gonna like be enough or is gonna like show him and, and then Dill like finds it very endearing and then he's like I'm looking for someone else and Elijah's like basically asking why and he's like someone less aimless and I feel like that's just like knife to the heart is so powerful um because you know in in the specific instance of elijah like what we've been kind of led to believe is that he's not like famous enough or successful enough or just like dill wants to have this kind of like harem around him all the time rather than being able to commit to one person and so we're expecting all of these kind of in a sense shallower reasons for rejection but what comes is something that is like so hurtful and he pinches on a nerve for Elijah and like one that I think we can probably relate to of being like it's because I'm not substantive enough and it's because I don't know who the fuck I am and I don't know what I want and I like it's because I'm like floating and constantly just trying to cover up my floating right and this like this lostness that is so unbearable to experience becomes that much more unbearable once we realized how unattractive it is and um so yeah I just <laughs> I think it's brilliant another instance of Lena Dunham just getting it so clearly on on every level okay also kind of just a random thing from this season that I love is Jessa's styling evolution so in the earlier seasons she's like really over the top like a dramatic all these like wraps and kimonos and like uh, just like floor length gowns and her hair is really messy and she's really just like in very indulgent in this kind of free spirit 
um, non-committal citizen of the world energy or whatever. And in this specific season, so she's gotten together with Adam and the, the two main things for her are that she's like trying to get serious and like focus on her studies to become a therapist, which she ends up dropping out of ultimately. But then also um, her being seen in this new light as a desirable character to Adam and to the audience by nature of her being this kind of siren. Um, and she's always was like the sexual one of the four, right? But that was just her being promiscuous basically and like hiding behind her promiscuity versus now when she's like actually trying to be a substantial person. Anyways, my point was that her styling reflects this so well. So in this season, she is like extremely stripped down um, and all the more beautiful for it, I think. Her outfits are just like a white off-the-shoulder cotton top and jeans and like or like clogs and flares. In this other episode, she has like an evergreen turtleneck under this like black jumper. I think like this is such a great way to reframe her kind of sexual threat whereas before it's like in the earlier seasons she gets almost less threatening even though she has all these like outward signals of kind of like big sexual power because she's just kind of such a caricature whereas like now that she is like real and like simple she you're kind of forced to take her more seriously and Jemima Kirk just like is really gorgeous and she's playing this the, the worst nightmare, which is your best friend getting with your ex-boyfriend, right? So um, anyways, I just wanted to note that. Um, okay, I kind of talked about this at the beginning with the like narcissism conversation, but with girls especially, Lena Dunham was advancing a point of view, which is actually very rare. Um, and not just satirically within her characters, though also that, like for the longest time, my kind of defense of the show was like, oh, you don't understand it. Like it's a comment on on right she's not advocating for the behavior of these characters she's commenting on it and that is still true but I no longer think that the comment onness is what makes this show special even if that's an element that makes it smart but I actually think it's the sincerity of Lena's point of view that makes it so special you can see how she operates moving through the world without her moralizing or apologizing or justifying or condemning it right so there's just so many layers of her actual point of view that she is finding a way to animate through these other characters and I I respect that and I enjoy it um I guess to the narcissism point again like people spend so much time wondering about whether or not it's like ethically okay to write about yourself and I just think that this that's boring and then another piece to this is it feels like people are forever asking the question of like is it okay to tackle quote-unquote shallow topics like narcissism which first of all is like an extremely rich and deep concept not shallow um like at this time um in many of the reviews of her work whether girls or other or her books at the time it came out like this question is continually asked and I just um I pulled up this Gia article which first of all came out like after the show had um had already finished and it's like oh okay of course Gia is someone who like was <laughs> too good to watch girls or like you know what I mean the the articles are called like on finally watching girls I'm like why the fuck were you not watching it like what's wrong anyway so in that and then there's this actually Caitlin Phillips article um that I think is in book forum RIP um um they're they're both talking about different things but like they both end up asking the question like do we need this now and I'm just like okay people need to stop asking this question it's not interesting and the answer is never yes or no or whatever just don't ask um Anyways, 
I want to talk about two other extremely random pieces of work of hers that I find very meaningful. One is this article that she wrote for Vogue this year on Marilyn Monroe. It was right around the time that that movie Blonde was coming out. Um, I didn't even know this until I was rereading the article for this episode, but it got like, like it generated a whole mini controversy cycle. Um, She's talking about Marilyn Monroe or just talking about what Marilyn Monroe means to her now that she's in the place of life where she has like some similarities with her. So um, they're both the same age. They both lived a very public life. They've both been very controversial characters. Um, They both are never going to be mothers. Um, And I think Marilyn Monroe had endometriosis too. And she talks about her miscarriage. Anyway, so she's talking about, um, they all both have like struggled with addiction, right? So she's kind of just talking about this. Um, And so the controversy surrounding this was like, who is she to compare herself to her? And also like, here, I'll just read you some of the backlash headlines. This one in Jezebel says, Lena Dunham wrote an essay comparing herself to Marilyn Monroe. And I'm tired. It's just like, And then this other one says, Lena Dunham and I both had hysterectomies, but I reject her grand unified thesis on infertility. This was in Salon. Whatever you wish. Um, But the part that I wanted to talk about that I thought was very brave and useful for us all is um, she talks about how she in earlier stages of life just wasn't that interested in Marilyn Monroe and how in a way she kind of protected herself from the like threat of Marilyn Monroe's beauty and popularity and um, kind of omniscience by avoiding her basically. So I'll read you this, this paragraph. As a young woman, I didn't much care about her, her being Marilyn. I was obsessed with those I perceived as shifting the cultural landscape towards something more like weirdness, Gilda Radner, Grace Jones, and later Tina Fey. I thought that girls who cited Monroe as an inspiration were at best trite and at worst boring. I did pose as Marilyn for a magazine, with bleached hair, sucking on a whipped cream dotted cherry, but only after convincing myself it was a kitschy commentary on the kind of woman we deem worthy of attention. You can apply this to so much, and it's such a good, like, Lena Dunham is so endlessly self-interrogating and self-aware, whatever, people want to categorize it as narcissism, but I actually just think there's so many lessons and art in it that like self-interrogation because she ends up offering us like ways to look at our behavior that we maybe would like to ignore or categorize differently right and so this admission of her um her previous inability to take Marilyn at face value the only way that she could consume her was in this like ironic in her words like kitschy commentary this is something that is like forever a trap that we could fall into, right? I just think that like, I don't know. I just think a lot of people can't even admit this in a way. Like there's so many ways to to take this, like the topic at hand of like Marilyn's beauty and Lena Dunham's uh, like ironic reinterpretation of that beauty is the only way she can handle it. Like there's so many ways to disguise your shame around your beauty or your feminine station or just your social station as commentary or interpretation of something or just to like say that you hate that thing right and so I admire the strength that Lena has to say yeah what I once thought was my own superior intellect and power of analysis and poignant commentary was actually shame and self-hate and embarrassment and bravado right and so um I don't know like there's so many different ways you can engage in irony and irony disguises itself as like 
so many different things. So you really have to pay close attention to what's going on with yourself. But there's so many different ways you can pursue irony anyways that um, that you will be rewarded for socially. And in this case, I think it just takes real strength to admit that you want to be, what you want is to be seen as beautiful and at once normal and special, which is essentially what Lena Dunham is copping to here rather than, oh, I want to be seen as clever and campy. <laughs> okay, there's more there too, but the, you know, those are two of the things. Um, so I don't know. I mean, this actually kind of circles back to what I was saying about Jess's styling in season five, where like this is what's so powerful about her beauty and her presentation in um, that season is that she perfectly strikes this beautiful normal special where she was previously like otherworldly clever campy and then we realized that that was all like cope for a very um thin inner world and lack of sense of self um and right so it's kind of just like all of this like smoke and mirrors caricature because there's like nothing um that is believed to be worthy or substantial or good on the inside um but then when we see her stripped down to like a white tank top long messy hair no makeup save for like maybe some red lipstick and denim she's like so impossibly beautiful and normal and special and that's like the real threat kind of um anyways but you guys should read the the vogue article about Marilyn. it's it's really good um the last thing I want to talk about is this specific section from her book, Not That Kind of Girl, that again came out in 2014. The book is separated into different clusters of chapters that are about like friendship, body image, love, work. Like uh, there's this one section about um, creative community and wondering when your greatness will be realized <laughs> um, that I want to read to you that it has been like a quote I've come back to over the years. Um, and so she says, I have friends, a group of girls whose passions do not stir me. I feel guilt about this, a sense that my inability to be at home with them proves once and for all that I am no good. I laugh. I agree. I find reasons to go home early. I have the nagging sense that my true friends are waiting for me, beyond, unusual women whose ambitions are as big as their past transgressions. That's how I felt, sure that my people were from elsewhere and going elsewhere, and that they would recognize me when they saw me. Um, it speaks to something so rarely articulated, um, which is like knowing that the people that you've surrounded yourself by, surrounded yourself with, are like not actually your people, and simultaneously feeling this like, guilt around the like yearning for more um and so just this feeling like the choices that I've made the way that I am has not led me to nor has it put me in front of the people whose acceptance holds the key to my confidence or something um this really slippery space of like you aren't exactly the people that I thought I was going to attract but I'm grateful for you and I love you, but now I feel kind of held back in XYZ ways and what do I do with this information, right? So this kind of feeling of I am stuck with people who don't see me and who I don't really see, who I know that I'm different from, who I catch myself wondering if I'm better than, and yet who I desperately need because they are like real friends and support systems to me, right? And so that that push-pull of kind of wondering like if you're a bad, self-absorbed, ungrateful person who has like such like kind of delusions of grandeur with the real like 
you know, kind of truth you have within you that you're not feeling completely fulfilled by your present community. Um, And then maybe the third layer is also knowing that you haven't been brave enough to test out the waters that you really crave to be in. And so I think this is actually just a really, really tricky space to explore within yourself, let alone to like admit or share or like try to move beyond because you can so quickly shut down that yearning for different types of connection by saying that like you're ungrateful or you're shallow or like you have an outsized ego but like like creative community is just so important because you're going to be like your biggest influences are the people that you surround yourself with right and so I think it's just like the work of a lifetime probably (laughs) to slowly build that foundation of um, like the ideas the ways of being the interests and the like ambition that you want to be surrounded by and that you want to be like the main influences that you're receiving day to day. You know, if you're dissatisfied with your present creative community, that's probably a sign that you're dissatisfied with your present like way of being, um, which includes your energy, your habits, your output your like commitment to your stated values well actually tings talks about this all the time right like integrity is measuring values against practice right and so when you're out of alignment in there it's like it's of course it's impossible for you to be attracting in the people that you most respect most are interested in and most are challenged by because you're not you're not even like operating on that wavelength for yourself anyways i just jumped a mention of that but I, i think i guess creative community and figuring out what yours looks like and how to make it meaningful and how to make it challenging is something that um, I think about a lot. Anyways, I thought she articulated an uncomfortable feeling very well. Yeah, well, Lena, just thank you for all that you have created and shared with us over the years. And you're like such an unbelievable force. I mean, you've shaped so much of culture and you like have inspired me so much to mine behavior (laughs) and try to make something beautiful from that knowledge so so thank you for inspiring me to create and to be myself (laughs) thank you for it all um i'm so happy for you and i wish you all the best and to all my listeners the same goes for you (laughs) Um, have a great end of the year, you guys. Um, lots of space for all that we want for ourselves, and all that's possible for us. Um, so let's get back to basics and I will see you in the new year. Okay, bye. I'm never so perfect as when I'm with you. And you're telling me I'm perfect. I'm sure you'd stay right here forever. That's a nice idea. I don't want to get a UTI. So I'll be heading to the
police. What? Why? Look at you. You have no self-control, eating right from the bin. It's one honor. I am sick and fucking tired of everyone acting like unrefined sugar isn't sugar. It's the exact same fucking thing. Be writer.